Hey there, people of soccer. This is ATL on Fire, the show where we'll be talking about everything Atlanta United Football Club. Sit back, buckle up, enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to AT on Fire. This is episode four. Hard to believe we've already made it three games into the season after this evening's loss to DC United. So a lot of soccer games to talk about. Before we get into that, I want to talk about my rant, which is uh, really Monster Jam taking over Mercedes-Benz, which in my mind is absolutely ridiculous. I know contracts are contracts, but could you imagine the Atlanta Falcons moving even a preseason game, more or less the first game of the season due to Monster Jam? No. You know what? Ownership, the leadership steps up and they make the changes needed. I know they wanted to show off Kennesaw Stadium because ATL2 plays up there, but I mean, really, I think um, that's a lesson to be learned and hope we can move on. Um, But a lot of soccer to talk about, so I want to introduce my co-host, Dave Katz. Thanks again for joining the podcast. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So, uh, as you all know, well, by this point, maybe we don't even have to do it. Right? Yeah. We're going to... Uh, we know a lot about uh, Atlanta United. We know a little bit about MLS. We know a lot about soccer, but we're going to talk about it all. Before we talk about it all, uh, I want to say thank you for the del- delicious wine again that you've brought to the podcast. What do, what do we got here? This is a uh, Pinot Noir from uh, California, Rodney Strong. It's 2012, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a couple a years nice old. Vintage, and, yeah. Very nice. I'm loving it. I know you're a Pinot fan. So. I am. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so, um, Dave agreed we, uh, we're ready to talk all things soccer and uh, excited to be joined by uh, a guest tonight. Uh, Carmen Butler, thanks for joining the podcast. My pleasure. Good How are you doing tonight? Here. Yeah, thanks for coming. I am good. I have to tell you that uh, Dave's wife texted me a few weeks back and said, guess what, Dave is on a podcast. <laughs> and I tried to play it cool. I was like, eh, I might listen to it on the way home. Yeah. I literally stayed at work, <laughs> listened to the first two episodes. So I'm one of those, I'm a long time listener. Awesome. All awesome. of what, the two months y'all been doing this? Yeah, yeah. three episodes. <laughs> Well, thank you for bringing the content, and uh, and with that, I'm going to ask the first question I ask all the guests, and uh, and that's really, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, why you became an Atlanta United fan. Well, I am Atlanta through and through, grew up here, mm-hmm. and a huge soccer fan, uh, grew up playing soccer, played my whole life pretty much, but, uh, you know, I was back with the Atlanta Attack, like my first crushes were the indoor Atlanta Attack mm-hmm. with like Brian Haynes and Yarrow, I don't know if anybody remembers. Drago. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yarrow says, no way. But we had a team in New York with Shep Messing. Oh, okay. All right. Well, back, you can tell. (laughs) Yeah. I'm kind of aging myself. And this is very appropriate because now our own Landon Donovan is back playing in the indoor uh, professional league. Is oh, I heard really? that. Which, who knew it even existed anymore? I did not know yeah. that. Yep, he scored his first two goals out of retirement. last night or night before. Get out of town. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. well, putting Atlanta and soccer together, um, it, I was kind of just meant to be a fan. And, yeah. you know, I really enjoyed the fact that before they actually, you know, when we got the team, 
before they actually got here, they really made a point to reach out to the soccer community and to get people interested in the team. And so all that just kind of hooked me. Yeah. Unfortunately, I didn't have a friend like Dave. I know you always talk about how he got you into yeah. like getting season tickets and all that. I thought I could be able to roll up like the Atlanta Silverbacks and just like, <laughs> get $5 tickets at right. the door. And then lo and behold, just the, you know, how much the city has supported them has just been really, really incredible. So. Yeah, thank goodness you can't. I mean, right, that's the great thing. Yeah. It means that we've done so well. Yeah, right? it's fantastic. So, yeah, like I said at the beginning, we're three games in at this point. Um, I know that's hard to believe, but I, I was down in Charleston, South Carolina, watching the first leg of Ariadiano, Atlanta United. Um, I was in a bar where they're singing karaoke, and I was like the angry guy in the corner. <laughs> it was supposed to be a soccer bar. It was like a local 616 or something like mm-hmm. that in Charleston, and it just turned into angry Mike in the corner. <laughs> but um, we had a great trip down there, so I, I was able to wash it off pretty quick. But that was a tough one. What did you guys think? It, it didn't go well down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know... Um, there's a little bit of hindsight now talking, you know, after we know the outcome, but, um, you know, the question that immediately sprung to mind after that is, is this the Deboer of Inter Milan and Crystal Palace? And is he going to be stubborn and, you know, so set in his ways? And you could see it in that first game, you know, the first game of the season for us, they're in mid-season, you're going on the road. Just don't blow it, right? You would think you'd have some kind of conservative, and he refused to do it. They played the three-four-three. It was, you know, total football on day one, which is what got him into trouble in Europe. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that was ugly. Did you watch the game? I did. Yeah. I did. Yeah, it was just one of those ones where you just there's not much to say, really. You know. Yeah. It, I mean. I didn't want to freak out, even though, you know, it was the first one. I didn't want to freak out, like, oh, God, they're, you know, this is what it's going to be like. But, um, yeah, it was it was ugly to watch. Right, because there was just zero forward movement uh, in that game. And uh, the exciting part was, like, for me, seeing the second game with Ezekiel Barco hitting a gear that I'd never seen. He didn't do any of that down in Costa Rica, which was kind of surprising. He did a little bit, but he was sort of running on his own. He didn't have a lot of support. Right. And he just kind of ran himself right into... Well, that's... Yeah, you're right. I'm jiggering my mind back to that. Yeah, I think he was actually trying almost harder than anyone on the team. And it was it was kind of obvious to me that Barco was really, you know, running, but without uh, support, I think, was the... I don't know. But... To me, you know, look, you're going on the road and total football, I get it, but, you know, you have, he plays three in the back with the two outside guys, and as soon as we win the ball, those guys are at midfield or beyond, right? But you got to think on the road in Costa Rica that those guys might have been a little bit more cautious before they went running, make sure that we don't give the ball away. Um, And I was surprised. There was no... No adjustment, you know, for that. Yeah. And yeah, um, Carmen, one of the things Dave brought to my attention was, I think, definitely the biggest mistake, though, besides the formation, was why wasn't it, why wasn't Parkhurst in the center? I can realize, like, you know, moving people around eventually, but not the first game of the season. Right, right. And I don't even understand, like, maybe Dave or one of you can explain it to me. What What's the decision-making process of not having him? 
in the center. Well, I think DeBoer initially thinks that, look, you know, Parkhurst, his weakness is pace. And if you have the fast guy in the middle, then anybody who, you know, if you get beat on the left, you get beat on the right, he has the speed to recover behind them. Mm. Right. And I think that was the thinking. Fair enough. But, but, um, Miles Robinson was, it's funny because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, Miles Robinson was fine or whatever. You know, Gonzalez Perez has taken a lot of shtick, you know, that initial header that caused the goal back. But to me, Miles Robinson looked tactically just over his head. I mean, for, for example, I'll give you two examples, right? Um, on both goals, I thought Miles Robinson was out of his mind, right? The one on the header back, right? So it's a long ball from one side all the way to the other. Bello makes a curious move and tries to chest it to LGP, right? But what's interesting is Miles Robinson is a center back, right? And that's what we're talking about. Why do you play him is the idea that his speed is to cover in behind, right? But he doesn't see any danger in the world. In fact, he was actually up the field further than LGP. So if that ball comes across, you have to realize we're either going to win it and it goes out or we're going to lose it and it comes behind you. You've got to read that danger, right? So he should have been a little bit behind. And so when when LGP turned to head the ball, he should have been heading it right basically back to Miles Robinson or over Miles Robinson. Mm-hmm. Actually, there was a there was a moment in today's game, the exact same play. It was the ball wasn't really completely yeah, across the way, but LGP headed it back to the goal. And if you notice on that play, he had to head it over Parkhurst because Parkhurst had read the danger and was in behind. So Miles Robinson, you know, he was just expecting Bello and LGP to do it and wasn't he's like, you know, not my problem. You know, you cover for it. Yeah. And then the other one I thought was crazy, right? So what I really liked defensively is we went out and we were challenging at midfield. And I think I, that was more in the first game than we've done in the, in the subsequent two games, right? So that was great. But LGP is challenging for a ball at midfield. And Miles Robinson comes in almost like double teams. And you could see the two Herediano midfielders. <laughs> They're like eyes were bugging out like jailbreak, yeah. right? Like Moses parting the seas, right? Because they knew... Any ball that got in behind, it was free open. And they just took off. And sure enough, he slipped it between the two of them. And they could have held hands running off the goal. There was two of them. I mean, so Miles Robinson, if you're especially in a three back, how in the world you could think it's okay to come and try to double and just leave the middle? And I would actually also say on that play, you know, Parkhurst is getting a little bit of shtick because he never comes over. But... He's in the right back. There's a guy out there who he has to mark. And the problem, he couldn't come over early because the right midfielder, Gressel, was way up the field and has no chance of getting back. So if he comes over, they just play it to his guy and he goes in, right? So I think, you know, it wasn't Parker's there. It's Miles Robinson, like, having a rush of blood to the head and parting of the Red Seas. Let's go. All right, enough of the painful first loss. How about we move on to the 4-0 victory? <laughs> yes, let's not dwell on yeah. that one. <laughs> on Thursday, so let's go to the good game. Uh, Carmen, did you watch that game on TV, or did I you go did. up to the game? No, I watched it on television. Yeah, we yeah. don't blame you. 75 North was brutal. Was it? Yeah, Dave and I left at like 3.30 to go up there, or 4. And uh, yeah, even, even that, it was, uh, it was bad on the Atlantic traffic front. So. Yeah. Well, how's the steak sandwich, though? 
It was great. Okay. Oh, yeah. Our Atlanta United flank steak. Carmen <laughs> yeah. is a big connoisseur of oh, our tailgate so Atlanta United flank steak, which oh, could be a podcast on Twitter. I'm telling yeah. you. It's, I dream about it. I do I too. <laughs> I was thinking about I made flank steak tonight for tacos, and I was thinking about that marinade on that. I was like, oh, because we didn't do the sandwiches. In fact, we just went caveman Ooh. and just did potato chips and just plain steak and just well, like, ate it off the grill. When Mikey Dabs and I got up there, it wasn't that early. You know, maybe a couple hours before yeah. the game. We got up there. There's nobody pointing, no signs for parking, nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they were like, uh, I guess you could park here. <laughs> we were like, oh, boy. This uh, is certainly not Mercedes-Benz. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I, I digress the food. But that game was pretty much full bore, right? So what was your favorite part of that game? Ooh, let's see. You know what? I really like the, I mean... I like the play between, was it Barco and Gressel, the second goal? Yeah. Is that the second goal? Just Barco getting involved and being able to yep. work well with Gressel. A little ball back that. to Gressel yeah. outside of the foot. Far oh, far yeah. It was a nice finish. So. A little give and go in the box. Yeah. So soccer-wise, but of course my favorite part was the celebration of Martinez <laughs> after the first one. Yeah. I was just like, oh. <gasps> <gasps> Almarone is gone, but not forgotten. Exactly. Oh, was that the, I didn't see that until you know YouTube, basically, because I was on that side where he scored. Okay. And it, I was so we were up against the the end there, and couldn't you know I saw the ball go in the back of the net, but that was about it. Okay. And couldn't see the celebration, but yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Dave, what, what are your takeaways from that game? Well, you know, not surprisingly, you know, I thought okay, the moment one right, Ariano comes out, they have two banks of four set up right outside the 18, and we're like, okay, here we go, park the bus, right? It's going to be a long night. And I'm like, if we get a chance early, you know, we got to finish it to open them up a little bit. And, of course, I wasn't thinking 53 seconds early. (laughs) But, but yeah, they took the chance, and as soon as they did that, you know, there was a little bit of flustered, you know, and I, I think... You know, Atlanta is clearly too good if you sit back and let them attack you. I mean, I, I think that, you know, PD and, and Barco and, and Martinez and Gressel are going to open you up. Yeah. I felt like PD and Barco didn't get many calls in that game, though, um, for sure. Even even uh, with the 4-0 victory, I felt like there's a lot of fouls that were uh, definitely, you know, I, I, you know, I respect refs that just let the game play, but... I think there were some obvious ones there that I know PT was frustrated with, but I guess that's what you get coming into a, a league. You're not going to get the benefit of the doubt even if you're the player of the year in South America. But Well, this is CONCACAF refereeing. I mean, yeah. so MLS refereeing is, is not so good. <laughs> and then there's a somewhere below that is CONCACAF refereeing. And, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember the Gold Cup. The last Gold Cup. Uh, oh, when the, I went the I, game at Mercedes, uh, well, actually it was at the Dome, right before yeah. Mercedes Benz. But um, when I went and bought a Mexico shirt at halftime, <laughs> half yeah, I remember that one because <laughs> he wanted to survive, <laughs> right? What the Mexican? <laughs> That's actually a true story. Oh goodness! Yeah, and then remember the referee called Braggus on for the throw. He said yep. he stepped on the line coming out of the eighteen. And gave him the free kick that right. that cost that, the handball. That was such an awful game. So you know that's the level of refereeing standard in Concacaf. Um, so I, you know, actually Mikey Dobbs and I were talking about. It. He's like, oh, the refereeing was terrible, and I was like, actually, 
for CONCACAF, it was, I mean, it was terrible, but it, <laughs> you know, my standards are so low. I'm like, as long as you don't you know, completely control the game by a couple of decisions, then that's a win at CONCACAF referee. Yeah. yeah. So we got tonight's game we are just fresh off the heels of, uh, which I knew was going to be tough, right? Like we're going up to D.C., who's a good team. They got Wayne Rooney, who came on somewhere midseason last year and brought them from the lower end of the league or uh, of um, of the conference uh, up into the playoffs. And you know, I think it was supposed to maybe be snowing, but instead it was just cold and uh, just steady rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, which you know, that's heavy legs. That's a lot, a lot of uh, tough stuff to get through. The field looked good. Um, at the same time, I just never saw us really get out of gear. There's a couple moments where we did well in possession and we're moving it around, but we never really found our true stride in that game, and it, it definitely showed in the 2-0 loss. Yeah, I think so. I, I agree with you. I felt like uh, Joseph Martinez barely, I mean, I don't know if he even had like any really, really good chances in the game. He's kind of absent for the most part, and you could see the frustration, especially, you know, in the last kind of 20 minutes, it went, I think after Pitt, I can never say his name. Petey. Petey. Like, like a little yeah. Pete? Petey. Sounds Not like Pity. But it's spelled Pity, but it's pronounced Petey. Petey. Yes. Yeah. After Petey came in, and I think he had a few good runs and a few good balls mm-hmm. across, and then there was just nobody there. Yeah. And yeah. I think you saw, you know, people looking up at the heavens, throwing their arms up, that right. type of thing. But, yeah, I noticed that too. And it's I think that's where there's just going to be a little bit of chemistry that's needed, right? Yeah. So, I mean, PT played a beautiful cross at one point, like lobbed it far post and that's normally where you'd see like Gressel waiting for the one bounce and you know do the the rip into the side netting but he put one between the goalkeeper and the last defender that went straight across you can't make a better cross Mm -hmm. than that nobody's crashing in the far post I think Martinez was kicking himself in the head he was literally hitting himself (laughs) over the head like what am I doing right so um, you know overall performance I know what do you think about the players like what what are the what are the who are the good players who are the bad players in that game? Do you have any anybody that you noticed that you felt like didn't perform, Carmen? Hmm. I'm trying to think. You know, what? I'm gonna pass this off to Dave. While I think about it. <laughs> um, you know, I don't think there were too many players that played poorly. Um, you know, after all the people ranting about how amazing Brexit is. Um, he came back to earth, yeah. and you realize that. I mean, even you and I were talking about in the Herediano game, right? In the last ten minutes, when yeah. the Herediano was desperate, and they finally they got finally one good cross, like in the whole game. The guy got to the end line, they crossed it, and everybody was running back, and Brexhay was running back too, and Brexhay was just watching the guy who was crossing the ball and running back, and he ended up standing next to Brett Guzan, and his guy stopped. Right, and the cross came across, and he turned around like, "Uh oh," right, and the guy was ten yards off of him, had an open volley, yeah. which he happened to miss hit. But, and you saw it today actually the same exact thing in the very opening when they should have given up a goal. There was uh, Brexhay was back, LGP was back. They were both you know covering the same guy, right, and then. So he had the right guy back, and the guy their right midfielder made a run out of the out of the midfield and Breck Shea had 30 yards to realize he was running 
never looked, never saw him. And as soon as the ball came across, he looked behind like, uh-oh, yeah. there's a guy behind him. And he walked right in on Guzman. Yeah, right. that was also a pretty amazing cross, though. So I'm going to give him a little bit of credit. Like, it's a great ball, but how do you not recognize yeah. that run? I, I hear you. Where I actually have the problem with Breck Shea tonight is in the other end of the field. And he played pretty well in the in-between. And got like he worked hard when he lost the ball a couple times and got back. Um, my... My problem was there was a couple, t- at least five times on one hand where he could have done better at crossing the ball, better delivery, or just get it into a dangerous spot. And it's inexcusable not to get at least three of five into a, into a dangerous situation. He was all the way down the field, was in the right spot, but couldn't get it in to really where it needed to be in terms of a dangerous ball like you see Gressel whip in there or you know even Garza in that position previously. Uh, I think to me that was the bigger concern. Uh, hopefully, it was just more of the wet field tonight that was a, mm-hmm. a factor in that. But I think if you look at those crosses yeah. that he got in the Herendiano game, right? They came out of a midfielder like PD or Barco penetrating, right? Drawing a lot of people and putting it out to him, and he had all day to cross, right? Today. There wasn't that thrust up the middle. And so when he got the ball, there was a guy closer to him. And you see the the weakness in terms of going forward, right? Once upon a time, Breck Shea was, you know, a U.S. international. He moved to Europe. He was the guy who was going to take that guy on and either draw a foul or get something, you know, good. How many injuries later, unfortunately for him, he's not, I think, as you know, as smooth on the ball anymore. And he didn't even try to go with those players, right? So people, you know, who are talking about, well, Breck Shea, he did a beautiful job of servicing the Aridiano game, but those were all in rhythm, beautiful, and he can clearly whip a ball in, right? But when you're asked to actually create something, maybe you want Bello in that situation because he's going to actually go at the guy, make the guy worried. Because the problem is if you, if you, if we get the ball through the midfield, we get it out to him, right? We've done all that work to get him in a good spot, and then he never makes the defender worry about it because he never goes at him. Then we've let them off the hook, yeah. right? And Garza, if you look at last year, right, he was never going to let that guy off the hook. He was going to go at him, you know. And how many times did he win a corner kick or get a you know cross or whatever? Yeah. Um, people, I think. You know, look, Breck Shea is not the Breck Shea of old after the injuries. Last year in the MLS, he was not great. He's been converted back to left back from an attacking midfielder. And I think, you know, his reading of the game defensively shows it a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, you know, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to trash the guy. Like, I think he's got some really good qualities. He's yeah. big. He's fast. You know, he's strong on the ball. He clearly can put in a beautiful ball as he did at Herediano. Yeah. Um, but that's a lot easier to do when it's in rhythm and, and provided for you. Yeah, no, I, you know, I think he's, um, he's solid. I just hope that he fixes a couple of those things. And, I mean, obviously it's first game of the season in the MLS, so uh, a lot of room to, to fix some of those, those, those glitches. Um, what did you think of uh, coaching or substitutions? Do you have any opinion on how things went with the lineup, the way they subbed? Yeah, I know we, I think Dave and I were talking, and I think you mentioned it too. I was glad that they didn't 
have like a bunch of not scrubs. They're not called scrubs, but <laughs> just squad basically. rotation. Yeah, squad rotation. That's it. Squad rotation. <laughs> where we had you know make seven changes from you know what we typically would call our starting yeah. lineup to kind of rest for Champions League, and so I was glad they did not do that. Um, and it seemed like once we got two zero down, then it was okay. Now let's hurt, put our start, yeah. our typical starters back in. Um, and try to make something of this game, and you know, I I, I agreed with what you know what he did. Yeah, I, did I was uh, very <laughs> very pleased that we didn't do full squad rotation because you know Toronto is an, a a a warning flag to all. Last year they played all the starters in the in the Champions League. None of them in the the league. They lost their first, I don't know, five or six games in a row. And they said, oh, don't worry. As soon as we stop playing in the Champions League, we'll play our starters and we get in the playoffs. That's all that matters. And it never happened, first of all. And then this year, the playoffs is no longer home and home. So just getting in the playoffs, you, you know, actually having the seed makes a huge difference. We can talk about all of that. Yeah. But, you know, so I'm going to ask you, Carmen, a question. Um, I think I'm really in the minority. There's a lot of people, at least in the, you know, um, people calling themselves the diehard Atlanta United fans who are saying, prioritize the Champions League. We want to be the first to win the whole thing. So if you had a run like Toronto to the final and maybe even won the whole thing and you missed the playoffs, what would you think of the season? I... I I wouldn't say it as a disaster because we have we would have that, but I would think I don't think it would be a good thing, you know. Right. And I think a lot of folks, fans of Atlanta United, probably didn't even know what the Champions League was. Right. Quite frankly, right. they're like, "Wait, yeah. we have a game? Yeah. Wait, who? Exactly. What? Right. Why, why are we right. in Costa Rica?" Yeah, yeah. I think at least fifty percent of your fans would have no idea a what it is and b how potentially important it is down the road for a club like Atlanta United is trying to be more than just an MLS team in terms of just the cachet that they, they are trying to build. Yeah. Um, the idea that we're going to win the Champions League and the league, you know, win the Champions League in our first season in it, I think is naive. Um, you know, I think we should be very happy, you know, getting through the first round, getting a major Mexican club like Monterey coming in to Mercedes-Benz and I hope that they open it up to 72,000 because I think that would be the joy of the Champions League regardless yeah. of the outcome to have a major Mexican team come here and and put ourselves up against that kind of you know uh, opponent I think is 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 the goal yeah. um, but you know if keep in mind right not only if you either miss the playoffs if you if you put all that energy into the Champions League and either miss the playoffs or even if you just barely make the playoffs Right, that means that you have lost a lot of MLS games, right? So that means that a number of occasions people have gone to Mercedes Benz and they've seen us, let's say, play against Cincinnati and lost, right? And if we go to Mercedes Benz and we lose to the you know brand new expansion team, I don't think people are going to be happy about that. Agreed, absolutely. Um... So any other uh, any other things from today's game with DC that stand out that we want to talk about? Well, I have to say I think that my take from three games 
is that De Boer has learned something from the Inner Milan and Crystal Palace experiences. Yeah. He does not seem to be so stubborn. He wants to play his system, so okay, right. but um, he made an adjustment. You know, he moved Parkhurst and and Miles Robinson. Um, he didn't go full squad rotation. You know, to me... I mean, I think he said it, you know, there were some interviews during the game about, from like Twellerman and stuff about, you know, would you want to prioritize Monterey on Wednesday and, you know, this game? And he said, you know, no, like first game of the league, you know, we want to play. And, and it didn't go like we would have wanted, but at least they came out to play. We knew it was going to be a tough game. I mean, yeah. we, we have a number one there, right? A, we have a DC. <laughs> and B, DC United is a is a even much further improved team yeah. from last year. Mm-hmm. I think DC United is a contender in the whole yeah. thing. So the idea that you're going to go in there on opening day, I mean, keep in mind we've lost our previous two opening days, right? We lost the Red Bulls at home the first year, and then we lost 4-0 at Houston last year. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. So, uh, you know, I do think there is a tendency with winning the title in year two and with the kind of squad we have and for paying, you know, how much money for PD and how much money for Barco and getting the South American player year, there is a tendency to say we are so much better than anybody. We expect to go run through the league. And I do not, I mean, I do think that the squad is terrific. I think if they play well, they should have a very good chance to be in it again and go deep in the playoffs, maybe win it all. But I do not think, dear podcast listener, that you should expect for Atlanta United to just roll into really hard away games and win. Keep in mind, in MLS, over the last five years, the away team has like the lowest winning percentage of any league in all of the world. Yeah. Any other headlines out there? I watched a few of the MLS games, or at least some highlights. Zlatan put in the winning goal for uh, LA Galaxy. Um, you know, I think there's going to be some other teams out there. I think Galaxy is uh, is one to keep an eye on, too. But uh, Red Bulls, I know they lost their... Uh, Guy to the Bundesliga team, what's his name? Tyler Adams. Tyler Adams, but they're yeah. going to be tough as well. So I think there's a there's a lot of teams that are looking pretty good that we got a a long road to uh, compete against. Too. Well, it's an opportunity to talk about you know selling Al Marone and uh, um, which I don't think we really did we cover. We touched on it a little bit. Um, I we talked about selling him. We haven't talked about him playing, which. Uh, I don't know if you've been able to watch any of his games over in England, but he looks pretty pretty much like the same Miguel Amaron that we saw here. Yeah, but I mean, he's still so... I mean, I knew he'd be fast, but I think I thought he'd get over there and just not seem as fast because, right. he's, you know, I, I don't know what it was, That's but he's still just... I don't understand how he can be that fast, especially when on the ball... You know, and even when he's away from the ball, when he does that thing where he puts his head down to get that start yeah. to, like, you know, put he pressure on like, He, like, lifts his chin. Oh, I, I, y'all, I miss him so <laughs> I can't even lie to you. And I, why I'm watching Newcastle on the regular is just because I honestly miss yeah. just watching him. Well, let you know you're going to get the first trivia question right. So Oh, no. You got that softball okay. coming, coming okay. to life. Um, so, my, my, so, I guess my question is, 
you know, how do we feel about Atlanta United being a selling club, right? You know, do we say, look, why shouldn't Al Marone help us win the league for the next seven years? How do, we, how do you feel about that? I love the fact that we're a selling club. I think, I don't know, having gone through the transfer thing, I don't know, the whole thing was exciting to me. Um, and I think it brings a, a different level of attention to Atlanta United. I don't know, that's my opinion. But I can understand as a fan, like, losing someone like Miguel Amaron and how painful that is. But at the same time, I think it's cool to see them progress to, obviously, a better league. And uh, I don't know, that's my thoughts, but... Yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I like it too. But then you know you hear you know Petey talking, and he's basically saying, "I'm going to follow on." It's <laughs> like, how long are we? Is he going to be here? You know, and yeah. it's kind of makes you like, oh well. But honestly, I'm one of those. I I like to win. I like to win now. And if you want to go on to bigger and better things in the next Almarone or Petey or whoever right. we get, and then send and them I on think- their way. That'll be the real factor on how great are like Darren Eels and Boca Negra and the, the, the back office really in terms of recruiting or how much of that was Tata in terms of mm-hmm. the influence to bring in the next, uh, the next set of talent like PT, which obviously uh, I'm sure Tata and, and what he created here at least was an influence even if PT obviously knew he wasn't going to be here. There was something about that whole mindset that probably made someone like him come to Atlanta United. So I'm going to make an analogy that I know is near and dear to Carmen's heart, right? So Carmen, dear podcast listener, um, was a soccer player at Duke, um, so she knows a thing or two. But, um, you know, in college basketball, Mm. right, there's the whole one-and-done phenomenon, right, where the guys come in and they're one year and then they're gone to the NBA, and Kentucky being the the biggest example of that now. Um, But Duke has had... You know, a number of oh, these, yeah. you know, the Corey Maggettis and things of the world. But um, my question is, as a selling club, right, if you have a revolving door and they're one and done, if you look at like Kentucky basketball, it is hard to establish a team thing when you come in for one year and are gone. Right. So my question, I think, for um, for Atlanta United and Darren Eels would be, how much have you gotten them to commit to two years and done or three years and we sell you on? Yeah. And my worry a little bit about Petey, so Almarone comes at, you know, whatever he was, 23, no problem for two years. But is Petey at 25, want to mm-hmm. be, still be here at 27, 28? Yeah. yeah, probably not. So yeah, I think we probably may have a year and a half with him. So if he comes for a year... And then he sell. Let's say he comes for a year. We sell him on. He plays really well, and you sell him on for a big profit. So that's a win from you know our whole strategy. But if it disrupts the whole team because he's in and out, we build. We finally get used to playing around PD like today, where you saw they were a little disjointed. Mm-hmm. We finally get used to him about three quarters of the way through the season, and then next year we got to get used to someone else. Yeah, it's hard to coach that, right? That's very true. I think about that. All right, you're getting me a little worried, but uh, <laughs> you've been so optimistic, Mikey. I, no, I am optimistic. I know. I think you know the, the awesome thing is there's so much young talent out there. I think um, we just need to continue to do the the right job of like a just looking at what the talent is in South America, looking at what the talent is, and even some of the 
uh, you know, the the lower leagues in, in Europe and figuring out, you know, can we bring bring in the backup talent on that front? I love the refresher on the wine here at, <laughs> at halftime. Oh, yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Um, so, any other um, stuff before we move into uh, what I'm excited to talk about, our first segment here, which I know uh, Carmen's going to be excited to talk about, which I actually know very little about. Um, other than like the soccer station and like what has been done on that front, but you're involved with soccer in the streets, right? Yes, yeah. So I said earlier, I grew up in Atlanta, and uh, Soccer in the Streets is an organization that basically uses soccer as a medium to improve the lives of youth. Um, that's our number one goal. But it's also we want to expose kids who wouldn't otherwise have a chance to play soccer to the beautiful game. So, you know, especially around here, you have to pay a lot of money to pay on yeah. these teams. Mm. And one of the, another thing that I never really thought about is the transportation issue. You know, like Dave and I, we're like in a carpool for yeah. our kids and we can barely get them <laughs> where they're supposed to right. go. Right. So when you have parents who, you know, are working, can't get off work to take a kid across town to get to a practice or a game, it can be tough. So station soccer, which is one of our newer initiatives, it's been a couple years now. We have um, a little fields at uh, Five Points in the West End. Um, basically allows kids to jump on Marta and get to a field. Now, they're smaller so fields. Cool. or not those huge fields. But you get there. You can play. We basically, some things are organized where we'll have a coach and teach skills, things like that. And other times, it's just come out and play. Yeah. You know, just whoever wants to come, jump on the train from whatever, wherever, whether it's your community, whether you're, you know, up the north line and want to jump on the train and come down. Um, so it's been really, really great. Um, and it just started, I think, when Darren Eels came, when Darren Eels came right. before, you know, um, one of our board members kind of met with him and said, we ha- I have this idea. I was over in England. People jump in. I see people on the train with their, you know, their cleats and things. I think we can bring that to Atlanta. And so Atlanta United was really big so cool. in helping us do that. So when we opened our first field, they were there to, like, kick it off. Like, Uncle Arthur was there. Darren Eels was there. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's been really, it's been a really great thing. And we do other things in terms of going into like the Atlanta school system and we have leagues there. And so a lot of kids playing soccer, I don't think otherwise would. Right. So that's amazing. Yeah. I think I haven't actually even seen any of the fields at either of the locations. Um, but, uh, is there any sort of expansion plan with that? And there is, yeah. I mean, our goal is really to have them at several, several stops, um, on the Marta, um, on the Marta lines. Yeah. Um, and I know one of your uh, previous guests, I think, mentioned Kensington. Yeah. Um, and the reason it works so well in Atlanta is because the way MARTA was kind of built up was these huge little drive to the you know MARTA station and jump on the MARTA station and go. So we had these huge parking lots. Right. But no one's using it. So it's like <laughs> basically, so Kensington is an, a great example mm. of where we have this area that we could actually use. Space. Yeah, we have the space. So it might not work in other cities. Like, I know other cities have looked at it and have kind of talked to us about it, but they don't have the space we have. Right. So there's definitely an expansion program, and we're actually in the middle of a fundraising campaign now, if anybody cool. <laughs> wants to go to our website and look at some of the stuff we're doing. And for people who actually play soccer, we have events for 
people to kind of come out, play soccer. My greatest thing is I got to play with uh, Carlos Bocanegra. Like, oh, nice. Started. Uh, wow. I kind of tackled him. Like, yeah. kind of. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> usually I don't say kind of. I usually say, oh, yeah. yeah. Like, but I, yeah, it was a kind of tackle. But, um, yeah, so it's been it's been a lot of fun, and cool. we, we I feel like we've done some really good work. So obviously people can go to the website to donate, right? But are there other ways people can get involved with Yeah, things? yeah. So you can go to the website, uh, soccerstreets.org. You can, we have events. Um, I think we have now four events. We have like we have our Champions League. Um, we have a black tie event. Well, well, when I say black tie event, it's just basically people dressing up and playing soccer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it's fundraising nice. and nice food and drinks. No, just dress up and come out and play. Um, and you can sign up for that or sign up your team for that. And then, you know, just raise money, some people to sponsor you. And that's usually a really good time as well. Um, you know, we have volunteer type things. I mean, if you want to help, we will find a way for you to help. All right. So, yeah. How did you get involved originally in soccer history? Uh, originally, I started out as a coach. God, I was a junior in high school, so we're talking oh, wow. over twenty, like twenty-five years ago. When, like, pretty much when it first started, when we were really small and just kind of going out different neighborhoods coaching. Okay. And then when I moved back after school, um, I was like, I wonder if it's still around, and started playing in some of the events. And then they asked me to be on the board, so I've been on the board. Gosh, for probably like seven years now. Wow. So yeah, so that's been. And can are they still looking for coaches? Can, can um, they now they are looking for coaches. Um, we do make sure they're certified, and then we'll sort of you know if people are interested, we'll work to get them certified. But yeah, looking for coaches, looking for people, even if you're not a certified coach, to go help right. um, the other coaches <laughs> in terms of you know making sure that the kids are getting the attention they deserve and that type of thing. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. I think you know once our our fan base builds up to an epic level. We're going to have yes. to have a soccer in the streets, you know, Atlanta, ATL on fire, podcast, fundraiser. If it can hit 22, it'll be, you know, we can get a, hey. get a game on. Hey, <laughs> and it's funny, one of the people, um, Jason Longshore, who does yeah. the radio for, he worked with us for several, several oh, years. Awesome. He was one of our, like, director of programming. And then when the Laney Night came and there was kind of that connection, that's kind of how that yeah. came to be so yeah yeah i saw uh, longshore and uh, mike conti were doing a little live cast earlier and it was funny uh, <clears throat> i also heard mike conti talking about the game up in kennesaw mm-hmm. i guess one of the oversights that um kennesaw didn't uh put into place is making sure there's bathrooms for the announcers of the game <laughs> so like, mike conti was talking about the fact that he was like yeah he was like turning purple uh, in, in the second half and when the game ended like he was literally like running to the bathrooms and the, and the fans were cheering like oh my <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny logistics yeah logistics. you know something you know this reminds me of sort of the the FA Cup you know when you go to these tiny little places and you play and uh, I mean I agree with you going back to your rant that you know with Mercedes Benz should we ever be playing a Kennesaw yeah you know but. No, I get the fact they're trying to promote it. And look, I'll be honest, it was a pretty cool experience. It was nice to be that close to the action. So there was some plus size, I will say. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I don't think at the cost of the advantage you have of playing at uh, what's the best stadium basically in the U.S. at this point and losing that as your advantage. But um, Yeah, well, the home field, you know, if you can get 72,000, I think that was, as you correctly pointed out, that's going to be, you know... 
an intimidating atmosphere. So yeah, especially you know, for like a Darren small and, and Arthur and Bocanegra, if you're listening, open the stadium up for next a week from Wednesday. Yes, Monterey. I mean, come on, let's go. Yes, absolutely. If you open it, we will come. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I mean, we're gonna yeah. fill it. We're gonna fill totally. it. I think so. I mean, you know, there is this this Wednesday night. Uh, you know, do we want to bet? I think we'll definitely get 72. We might not be at MLS Cup level, but we'll be a couple thousand close. I don't know. Yeah, even if we ended up at, you know, 67,000 or yeah, something, right. then, you know, come on. The chance to play. I mean, Monterey, I don't know if you know, but Monterey is currently in second place in yeah. Mexico. They're, 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 they are a serious I did a not serious know that. team. They're the only team in the in the Champions yeah. League who has won it before. Because part of me like was like, what may not be the worst thing if we lose to Ariadano and just focus on the MLS because all the reasons we talked about just gets the team refocused on the task at hand. Um, but I agree with you, Dave. I think we have a great showing. But, yeah, I mean... The, the prize of winning that is just adding more pressure to balancing everything. Mm-hmm. Even if we were to lose, if we can, you know, with 20 minutes to go at Mercedes-Benz a week from Wednesday, if it's still on the line and there's 70,000 or 67 or whatever and the crowd and it's a Mexican top division team, then... you know, it's going to be, you know, goosebumps and tingles and, you know, I mean, that's... That's why you're playing the Champions League, right? Yep. I mean, and so, you know, that would be a win in my book. All right, Carmen, the time has come. I know you were nervous about doing trivia. Yes, but I we're going to move on to the next segment. <laughs> okay. I already know you got the first answer locked down, so there's, All right. there's no pressure coming okay. for the first question. Here we go. I be able to get this, this is our trivia segment. <laughs> and. What does she get if she wins? Yeah, I think we can find a nice bottle of wine. All right. oh. Maybe not quite as nice as, nice as this Pinot Noir. Oh, okay. but, um, Wait, how, how do I win? Do I, how, how do I win? So if you get eight out of the ten questions. Oh. <laughs> never happening. <laughs> eight out of the ten. And we'll see how this goes. I think that's a good ratio. Um, maybe it'll... Yeah, I'm going to stick with my guns on 8 out of 10. I think that's a good... And benchmark. if she doesn't win, HL on Fire will make a donation to Soccer in the Streets in honor of Carmen. Well said. So, the first one. Okay. Again, softball. Miguel Almiron yes. now plays for what club? Newcastle. Yeah. Woo-hoo! Check. That's in the winner pile. And I, I'm going to see him play at Newcastle against Arsenal in a couple weeks. Yeah. So I'm going to be wearing my five stripes, not my eight plus stripes jersey. Uh. (laughs) And uh, I'll be there rooting for Media Marone. Let's go. That's awesome. Okay. See, I can put a caveat on this question because there's no no shame in getting this wrong because it's an exacting thing. Okay. Uh, But if you're in one, if you get within one year of the answer, I'm going to count it right. Okay. How old is Greg Garza? Let's go with... Even though we've lost him to Cincinnati. I know. His kid played for DDY. I That's know. Right. He played against my daughter. Did he? My son such a nice guy. refed his game. And so he's like all these random So pictures. sad to see him go. Oh, okay. But I have no idea how old he is. So um, let's go with... No. 27. 27? Yeah, that's How is this kid that old? Magnabbit. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Next question. Our head coach of Atlanta United, mm-hmm. Frank DeBoer, yep. his previous coaching job mm-hmm. was at what club? Uh, Crystal Palace? Chess. Yes. 
Well done. Woo! All right. This, I think you're going to get correct as well. Okay. From previous conversation, the president of Atlanta United is? Darren Neal. Correct. Who used to be the president at what? English Premier League Club. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that. See, that's a... <laughs> White Hart Lane. I should have asked, that should have been the follow-up because uh, this is a tough one. I, I didn't know this okay. one. Like, I right. had no clue. Okay. Um, the Five Stripes, the name Five Stripes, mm-hmm. that we call our Atlanta United, is a nod to Atlanta's history as a what kind of town? Holy crud. Five. And I uh, wouldn't even know uh, it as an Atlanta native. You, the only thing I can make the train station like yeah. the it, railroad check. I'm <laughs> <laughs> wow! All right. I think you're gonna get this one right Ooh. too. So I don't want to jinx you, but okay. Atlanta United Two. <laughs> Atlanta United Two, okay. our USL team, okay. plays at what stadium? This year or last year? This Ooh. year. She's asking you questions now. Yeah. <laughs> My son, I feel like, just told me that. Is it not Kennesaw? I thought they are playing Kennesaw. It's in Kennesaw. All right. <laughs> which is, what? what's the name of that third, fifth bank, or fifth, third fifth bank? Fifth, third bank. Fifth, third okay. bank. It was actually the name of the bank, by the way. Yeah. Okay, that's, oh. a, that's a weird name. Okay. I guess All it's right. the intersection. They're out of the, the, the crummy baseball stadium now. Yeah. So you've got a chance at this since okay. um, both you and I went to... South Carolina schools, uh, or no, Dukes, Dukes North, Carolina. North Carolina. That's all right. So, so Dukes, North Carolina. I went to Charleston, okay, College of Charleston, okay. um, and played up at your stadium a couple times. Okay, um, this is a uh, this this is in the region, and uh, our friend and goalkeeper Brad Guzan played for what college team? Darn it! Uh, he only played there two years. Clemson. Nope. <sighs> He was a Gamecock. I had no idea. What? South Carolina. Yeah, yeah, South Carolina from 2003 oh, to 2004. Get out of town. I no would have never guessed that, right? Oh, my man. rival. My, I can't stand You know, there's a guys. ton of players who played there, right? Really? Mathis and Josh oh, yeah. Wolf. Josh Wolf, and Mills. Yeah. A lot of U.S. national team really? players from yeah. South Carolina. Check out Clemson. How about that Mills call out? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> John Mills, are you yeah. listening? <laughs> All right. Um, so. What do we got? I think you got to run the gauntlet now. Uh-oh. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Okay. Between 2008 and 2016, Brad Gusan had 144 appearances with this EPL team. Oh, crap. Oh, I know this. Dang it. <laughs> Dang it. All right. Phone a friend. Cats. Yeah. Oh, man. Aston Villa. Aston Villa. Oh. Yeah. Oh. That's a so I was going to stick with the, the Guzan questions there. Um, <laughs> this one's really hard, but since Here's it's a question, question is Brad Guzan bald? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the good news is there's a donation coming. Okay, okay. good. Um, now, Everybody wins at ATL on fire. How many regular season goals did our Joseph Martinez have in 2018? Crap. Uh, regular season. Oh, regular is, season. I don't know that I would have just like. So you broke it down, right? It wasn't just the the what how his record was. He said regular right. season. Regular so that's season. like a trick question, my Thirty-four. 
Oh, so that's so close. He had 31 in the regular season and then an additional four in the playoffs. Uh, so 35 total. Okay. All right. That's close enough. That's pretty darn close. <laughs> yeah. For ATL on fire where we uh, don't actually do our homework, I think that's close enough. This is more of a fun one. Okay. Uh, there's no shame in missing this one because I would have had no clue either. Okay. Um, an ESPN survey of players in 2016... Um, voted that they felt that their compensation uh oh wait hold on let me read this correctly uh what percent of the players felt that they're uh that they were fairly compensated fairly that they were fairly compensated uh or not fairly compensated sorry what what percentage of players felt they were not fairly compensated 24 <laughs> 24% yeah. okay. 44% 66 or 84. Wait a second. Has there ever been a player in the history of soccer who so thought they this were fairly compensated? I was going to say, the highest one. It's got to be 100%. Check. Yeah. <laughs> 84%. Uh, who are the 16% who thought they were fairly compensated? Where yeah. did they get them? That must have been uh, Bradley and uh, yeah, exactly. Javinko and the whole F- the Toronto squad. Yeah. That got outrageously paid. Maybe Ibrahimovic. Yeah. He's like, I am Ibrahimovic, and I am fairly compensated. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dave, now the pressure's on Uh-oh. you. Ooh, what's this segment? This segment is what we call... I thought we were done. Cat's yeah. Corner. Okay. Oh, we're not corner. done. Okay. This is Cat's okay. Corner. You, I must have missed that. Spot. No, you missed it. That's right. Um, explain to the fans... The new playoff system that we're faced with, which is an additional thing that just makes everything more of a crapshoot going into winning MLS Cup again. A lot of people may not know the the news, so... Yeah, so the MLS made a sneaky announcement in the offseason that the dual uh, home-and-home series, which is the classic Champions League from Europe uh, format, is gone. It is now single elimination games throughout the playoffs. Um, the higher seed will um, um, get the home game, and it's completely bracketed. So if you get a upset in the first round, it's not reseeded like it has been. So right now, not only has it been home and home, but it's been reseeded. So if there's an upset, the lowest seed still, the top seed still gets to play the lowest seed. Now that's not true. It'll be like the NCAA tournament where if a 15 seed beats the the one seed or a 15 beats a two, then they get to assume that two, you know, bracket going going forward. So if you upset somebody on on the road in the first game, then you get, you know, you get to play the weaker teams going going forward. Does that make sense? You look a little confused, Mike. I yeah, I, I'm always confused. <laughs> yeah. That does make sense, but yeah, it's um. So it's not reseeded. So it starts out. You know, be one versus. Um, oh, I guess they're gonna. Uh, is it six teams? They they expanded it one more team for making the playoffs this year too. Okay, yeah. Right. So it 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 used to be that the top two got a buy. This year, only one team, the top seed, is getting a buy, and everybody else has to play. Yeah, it's it's completely different. Yeah. Um, and actually, I was surprised that. You know, on the television broadcast tonight, right, Taylor Twellerman 
was saying that, you know, isn't this great, you know, because it makes the, the regular season um, so much more meaningful. And, you know... <sighs> yeah, it does make the supporter shield, in my mind, maybe a little bit more important. Because, like, look at Ariadna, the game where the better team did win the aggregate type of format. You know, I mean, clearly Atlanta United, I think in my mind, was the better of the two teams. But it took two games to get there. And I don't know. I think it's a mistake. I know they're trying to get ahead of the um, the, the the break, right? Which is the other big They're trying to get it in between the two international breaks so that the season... Right now, there's a huge international break right in the middle of the playoffs every year. I don't know if people realize that. That's why we had this big break where we had a playoff game and then we didn't have playoff games for like two weeks. And you're like, what happened? Right? And that's because there's an international break that's mandated by FIFA. And they're trying to get ahead of it. So now the entire playoffs. So they started the season a little earlier and because of single elimination. So this year, the entire playoffs is going to end in October prior to that break, I think. Really? Yeah, it's much earlier. It's all moved well, up. Oh, wow. um, That's sad for me, too, because now that ATL fire... It doesn't have as much of a chance heading into the playoffs either. So you know, it's actually interesting, right? Because there's precedent, right? So, so the Champions League continues to do home and home straight through, and then there's a final. So that was what the old MLS format was. The World Cup, as everybody knows, there's the group stage, but then a single elimination from there on out. And this was now going to become basically the equivalent of the World Cup, you know, round of sixteen going on, and. I, I would argue that the Champions League is much fairer at producing the top teams getting late in the competition. Yeah. There's a lot less upsets. Now, if you're a if you're a you know conspiracy theorist, as we are on ATL on Fire, you might love the upsets and the and the randomness of it. It's like the NCAA March Madness. Mm. But you know, honestly, if you're a MLS supporter as we all are, and if you're a season ticket holder and you're going to the games, right, you know, I think by and large, if, you know, if your team is a top team, you're expecting them to go further in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, the upsets, I'm not sure if there are huge upsets that it's better for the league. I agree. Uh, I'm a fan of aggregate, as I think we talked about in the last podcasting, is a better way to get the true winner with the star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is what it is. The uh, MLS season is a weird uh, a weird setup in general. I hope that they figure out a way to fix that too, but there's a lot of complication with that. I'm surprised that they did it because it's been really successful. Um, I guess they're really worried about the dragging on, and I think there are... You know, I think I think this is be, had to have been driven not from a soccer standpoint, but from a calendar standpoint, yeah. mm-hmm. and the amount of break that they're getting, and that you know that worries me. As soon as you start making decisions, it's not about the fans or or the soccer, and it's more about the calendar. Mm. Right, I'm with you. I'm with you on that one. All right, I think the red wine is slowing us down. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to wrap this sucker up with my favorite segment of the show. Hopefully Dave prepared you. If not, we're just going to throw you a curveball. But there's, again, so much to like about Atlanta United. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that you hate the most, Carmen? See, y'all already covered it on your last episode okay. with the jerseys. Mm-hmm. And Roberto came with much fire on that one. Yeah. And so I'm not going to repeat it. 
But I just have to say, and I don't necessarily hate this Bell Land United, but can I just pour a little bit out for Justin? You know who I'm talking about? No. The guy who would always translate for Tata. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I loved him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when they would interview Tata, uh, and he would say everything in Spanish, and he'd, he'd walk away. He'd be talking for like three minutes, yeah, and he'd walk away. And he'd walk away, and then this poor kid who had to been like 25, yeah. and his suit would come right. up and be like, um, yeah, we just have to, and he'd just like start talking, and then the woman would be like, thank you, Justin. Thank, thank you, Tata. Justin. <laughs> and walk off. So no more Justin. Yeah, now that we have a coach who speaks three different languages, yeah. you know, yeah. there's no need for a translator I think ever. We could, I, there's a reason to have Justin around, even with Frank, I think. I feel like he's just there. <laughs> yeah. I really do. Like, just, yeah, is like, Justin out of a job? I don't know. Because yeah. now know. that DeBoer can translate for himself, exactly. and he can translate between players. Yeah. If somebody's speaking Spanish, he can translate for the English or vice versa. For everybody. So, Justin, if you're out oh. there and listening, I need you. You have like the Twitter and all that. Like, oh, at ATL on fire, yeah. All Maybe he stuff? wants to join the podcast. Dude, the Justin, call them. I'm just saying. <laughs> I need we to- can talk. And he can see how long we can go, and he can still remember and be able to translate the whole thing. Yes. Well done, Carmen. Yes, but yeah. my official answer okay. the jerseys. All right. The jerseys. You don't like the jerseys? For the same reasons y'all talked about. Yeah. Five stripes. Five, Five stripes. Not eight plus. Railroad, and what bothers me about station. the jerseys is um, in. I'm a, I'm a pretty agnostic about the jerseys, but um, the the replica jerseys that a lot of fans have, if you don't get a number because the back know, is that's black, what you and I noticed it's the just game all black. And it looks good on the players because, of course, they have the numbers, right? But when you just get the replica jersey and you don't pay for a player's number or a 17 or your supporter's number, whatever... It looks crazy. It's just the whole conspiracy theory. Theory. That's why they're going to do that. So people are going to realize that now you're going to have to pay that extra money to get the number, Uh, so it doesn't look uh, silly. uh, Okay. See, my son is a jinx because whoever he gets, whoever's number is gone. Like he had the Assad jersey the first year, gone. uh, gone. It's like, yeah. (laughs) Who's he got now? I I was going to go blank, but now that you say that, it looks crazy. I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to do that, but. do not buy PT. That's okay? <laughs> no, yeah, we won't have that. Our official 100% correct prediction, if Carmen buys PT for her son, <laughs> yeah. then he's out. Yeah, so none of that. Maybe a Mikey Ambrose. I yeah, we're 100% that, on our predictions. So. Always. On the podcast. <laughs> well, I think it's been a good cast. Uh, it's been a long day with... Uh, with the game already in hand. But yeah. uh, Carmen, thanks so much for joining ATL on Fire. Well, thank you for having me. This yeah. has been a dream. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> if we can only get some listeners now. So share with your friends and family. We'll get this thing wrong. Spread the word. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks, everybody. Hey, we're out. All right, soccer nerds. If you made it this far, jump on Twitter and follow us at ATL on Fire. Our website is www.atlonfire.com Also, if you have one of those awesome Alexa Echoes, Dots, whatever they're called, uh, or one of those Google Homes, etc., you can feel free to just talk to us. Say, hey Alexa, listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast. Or, hey Google, listen to the latest ATL on Fire podcast. Boom, there we are. You're up and running. Thanks, everybody. This has been an ATL on Fire production.
Hope you enjoy.